Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, the CEO of City Current, Jeremy Park. Welcome to the Changemakers podcast produced by City Current and powered by Lipscomb Pitts Insurance and Higginbotham. I'm your host, Jeremy Park. And this time we're talking about nutrition, fitness, retreats, and so much more. We're honored to be joined by Chris Interest. She's the founder and the CEO of Rock Springs Retreat Center. She's also, too, a mother, an entrepreneur, an Army reservist, and former CEO of a global luxury hotel company. So we get to cover a lot of important storylines and fun storylines that are going to take us all the way even to Los Angeles. But Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So you are a fun one, especially knowing that you have all these cool storylines, even with LA and hospitality and acting. And anyway, we're going to have fun with this one. So (laughs) the fun of Changemakers is we get to know you personally and uh, your backstory, your childhood, lessons learned. But let's go ahead and start out with where did you grow up? Ooh, in the middle of nowhere. That would be the, the hometown of the USA, right? So I was born and raised in Wisconsin in a small town called Marshfield. We're the exact center of the state. We had a very large clinic, one of the like third largest in the country. So we had a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses. And then we had a, the other side of the railroad track, which was, you know, normal people. So we call it a lost suburb in Wisconsin because there's really no big cities. So you just hope you have some stoplights. So do you like cheese curds and walleye and things like that? I do love walleye. I love fishing. You know, who, who can't love cheese curds, but I don't eat a lot of them. <laughs> But you know about cheese curds. That's right. Well, I was so I was born in Milwaukee, so oh. and, uh, we have a lot of friends that are like all from that area. So yes, so I, I have a very fond familiarity with Wisconsin for sure. So well, we have a big sign up list with all of our friends when we go up there, bringing down cheese curds and a couple other goodies. So uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk about your parents and you know siblings. Give us an idea of what your family life was like. You know, I think it was pretty traditional, a lot key kid, you know, in our generation, our parents worked really hard to to do as much as they could and kids kind of raised themselves and that was okay. Right. You're kicked out you go play until the sun comes down and, you know, and uh, so pretty traditional in that way. Um, I was raised in, I guess, a city at 22,000 people at the time. But so I was always an entrepreneur. I think I got my first, um, you know, newspaper route when I was nine. Uh, and it really wasn't mine. It was my brother's and he didn't want to do it. So I had to share the money and do the work, which was pretty traditional because he was an older brother. So I have an older brother that's three years older. And um, he is uh, got out of the military as um, just got his papers to be a general. So he was very successful in the military. Amazing guy. You know, typical sibling rivalries, rivalries growing up, growing up. But we were completely opposite. I was the entrepreneur, always coming up with ideas, and he was very straight and narrow and so forth. And so, and then my mother and my father met in the Navy. So my mother was my father's commanding officer, which does not go over very well. So my mom was a nurse and my dad was a medic. And then he went to Vietnam and came back. And so, you know, he moved up through the ranks and they chose to go to Marshfield because of the medical facility. So my mom was a nurse and, and stayed in the military. They were both in the National Guard. They both got out as colonels. And so the relationship was really about understanding, care about the country, care about people, 
Um, my father ended up being extremely successful and rose up through the ranks at the clinic and ran the research foundation. And then he became the CEO of a very large clinic um, and then started his own business with um, medical uh, organizations. So, so, you know, I really had that entrepreneur for my father, but my mom ended up being a therapist and was an angel on earth. So I had the softness of watching my mom be a caretaker. So you know, I had a really good balance from that perspective. You know, I'm the Typical story that's not typical. I left home at 16 years old and started my life. Some un, unexpected, you know, life-changing events happened, you know, the Me Too movement. And um, small town just wasn't feasible for me to feel like I could stay there. So, you know, 16 was life-changing, you know, some bad stuff happened. And it's kind of when I decided to get on living or get on dying, you know, Shawshank Redemption. And I chose to go after my dreams, right? And not look back. So I left at 16 and and moved to Minneapolis and started my life. It's interesting though that a lot of the storylines that you're talking about with your parents have a woven story with you too, in terms of healthcare and even psychologically helping others and kind of being a therapist, so to speak, in terms of what you're doing now, even pouring into others through everything you're doing, um, even but serving our country. I mean, there's a lot of kind of cool threads what's one tradition, maybe when you look back and it can be maybe around community service and serving our country, what's, what's a tradition that when you look back on your childhood that you have a fond memory and it could be sitting around the dinner table holidays, but what's something that you kind of think back on with fondness? Yeah. Fondness was um, a, a different perspective than it is today, right? I played sports and I did all of that, but your parents weren't there. They were working. You know, my mom didn't get home till 10 o'clock a lot of times because she was dealing with someone that was suicidal. And you don't walk away from that, you know? And so I really understood that you do need work-life balance. You know, I didn't see a lot of that, but I did see that you have to sometimes take care of others to, to get to where you want to be in life. And so, you know, I had, a, I had to sacrifice a lot seeing them make those choices. But my fondest memories, it's kind of sad, um, they had drill every weekend. And, you know, my mom was a commander for a while. My dad was a commander for a while. And so we went to drill with them um, to the different bases. And I thought all kids did that. And we just had fun. We, seeing your parents in uniform makes you so proud. You know? And so we thought everybody learned how to drive cars on a military base next to a tank. You know? And so I think those were really some of our fondest memories. <laughs> nice. So 16, as you said, you decide instead of, you know, instead of going down the I'm dying route, I'm going to go on, I'm going to live my life route. What was that like? Because obviously as a 16 year old, you know, that's a pretty bold step. And looking back, you may not think about it at the time, because even on mine, I think, you know, graduating college, I just moved to LA with no friends, no connections, you know, no whatever else. And it's like, looking back older now, it's like, wow, that was a pretty bold move. At the time it wasn't, it didn't seem like it, but right. looking back. So what we was think it we're like adults at 16, 16, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we, we look at when we hit there, like we can drive and we're an adult and suddenly like the world is open to you. And for me, it was a vital choice to refine myself um, because in a small town, it, you know, what happens there sometimes is, is you know, you can't escape it. Um, and so when I went, I started a company at 17, right? Um, a business. I didn't know any better, right? Ignorance is bliss, right? You know, you got to find a job, you got to find a way to work. And, you know, and so I quickly recognized that, um, I look at my son at 16 when he was 16, he's 27 now and our daughter and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they weren't even capable of figuring out how to, you know, get from A to B, right? How did I do that? But, you know, I always attribute it to hundred years ago, kids got through school to the fifth grade and they're working on a farm and they had to figure out how to feed their families. 
we're capable of doing so much more than we realize. We don't give our kids credit for that either. You know, I think protecting them is wonderful, but the world is a wonderful place too. And, you know, it, it, the only thing that's final, my mom used to say in life is death, even taxes. If you try, you could probably evade them for a while. So, you know, I think taking away that fear is, is the reason that you pursue the things that you want to do. How did you switch over then into the military? Talk about that transition and serving our country. Yeah. So when I was in Minneapolis, I, I answered one of those crazy ads. Are you motivated? Are you athletic? And I didn't know what multi-level marketing was. Right. So, you know, within two weeks, I was like number two in the country in this country, in this company. I didn't know I could do sales. I, what do you know? And then I ended up having 50, 60 employees that didn't know I was 17. And I would just pray to God they didn't find out because I knew they wouldn't respect me. And it was exhausting. And so I, um, I stopped. I ended up running a restaurant for a little bit at 18. And okay. And, and then I went back to my roots. I used to go to French camp every year. So I went back and said, okay, I got to figure out what I want to do. So I went and taught French for the summer. Just went back to where I found a lot of peace in my life. And then coming out of that, you know, I thought, I'm a little tired. The military feeds you. They clothe you. Man, that sounds pretty good to me. I was the black sheep. I was the only one that wasn't going to go in the army. And, uh, and so, but I also knew I loved medicine and I loved healthcare. So I went to pharmacy, uh, kind of pharmacy experience in the military. And so I knew that would give me a broad base for my future. It was a great education and, um, and kind of went because I just wanted to break from real life. Sad to say, but the military, if anybody has been in it, it's life changing. No one can tell you you can't stay up for 48 hours. No one can tell you what you can't do. When I finished pharmacy and then I eventually went to college a couple years later, college was a piece of cake. I got through it in two years with a baby and two jobs, you know, because the military really pushes you to every limit you have. And it teaches you your ability to expand and not be afraid of things. So it's a great experience to go into the military. Was there someone in the military that really became like a mentor or someone to you that you, you still kind of look at and think, wow, I learned so much from this individual or this individual still with me today in terms of pouring into you? You know, I didn't, I didn't follow that part of the career very long because I ended up getting out. I was living in Scotland and commuting back for a reservist is a little bit tough. Um, and we were downsizing after the Gulf. But uh, there was a gentleman named Sergeant Piercy. And I was at Fort Leonard Wood and we were the first woman group to ever go through. And so the drill sergeants didn't know what to do with us. Like, okay, there's women here now. Like, what, what do we do with them? And, um, and so a lot of drill sergeants struggled with that, like trying to figure out how to be soft, but inviting. And when I went through, there was nothing soft about the army. Right. And so but Sergeant Piercy, I ended up being the, the platoon guide almost the whole time, which was unheard of. And I, I won the command general award, which is like the best rounded soldier. And, but He's like, I don't care who you are. I'm preparing you to survive. And I, I don't care what gender you are. And he was hard on us. And all the girls in my platoon felt like it was so unfair because everybody else's platoon had pizza parties at times. And, you know, but he, he, you know, my mom came back from the Gulf War and being in a military hospital environment as a female in those days, you weren't given the same opportunity to train for survival, right? And so my brother and I would argue because he was a, infantry specialist and I was healthcare, but my mom was on four miles off the front line and had 1200 people in her hospital. There were 160 weapons, you know? And so if they would have gone to war, they didn't care if you're a woman or a man, they just knew that you were in front of them. So I came back very adamant about fighting for women's rights to be trained appropriately. And so, um, you know, I really pushed hard. I worked with the government a little bit. I was very outspoken. 
not because I want to walk around the woods and pee next to the guys, but because I want to be prepared. And I think everyone in the military had that right. So we've changed so much in the last 30 years. But uh, I went through a big change opportunity there with the military. You mentioned how the military really helped you achieve and, and go through school much quicker. Talk about that transition back from military, you know, going to school, ultimately getting your MBA, and, uh, and then that'll lead us into LA too. But give us a little bit of that transition out of the military back into school and civilian life. Yeah, so I didn't do anything traditional. So after the military, I uh, went to Scotland for two weeks to study the healthcare system with my mom. It was when we were thinking about going socialized medicine. And um, saw someone across the room at a, at a nightclub and went home and told my mom, that's the man I'm going to marry. And uh, so I tend to follow my heart. So I stayed for two years and I ended up opening restaurants over there. I uh, had two restaurants, a bar, a nightclub, and um, lived the life as a Scots person. And um, my son's father and I are still very good friends. But I realized in that time how amazing America is. You know, we have so many freedoms. We have such optimism. And we don't really realize it till we're in a different environment. And so when my son was born, I said, I want him at home. I want him in America where he sees opportunity. And um, so he was two weeks old. And I got on a plane and went back with nothing in my pockets and nothing on my back, more or less, except for a baby in my arms. And that's when I went back to college. So um, I knew that if I was going to progress, I needed that education and check that box. So when you have an infant and you're living on your own, two years, uh, you, you put it all in there so you can get done. So I got through in two years, took 24 credits a quarter, had a couple jobs. And um, uh, so, but I knew then I wanted to be in business. I had had so many amazing opportunities in the business world. I knew what I was lacking, which I think a lot of young people don't. I went into school for me. I went into school to make sure that I walked out with the tools that I needed to be a great business person. And I think I saw so many young people around me that were just kind of there because that's what they're supposed to do. So I was very lucky to have those life experiences before college. Part of this in college is you're taking some theater classes and you fall in love with it. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, a little bit of a Hollywood story. Someone sees you and says, hey, come to L.A. So to talk about that. Yeah, that was definitely I am. Um, I actually didn't want to do theater classes. I, uh, I, was, I didn't have enough electives. I was at the very end. It was my last quarter. And um, I'm very dyslexic, right? So that's why I never thought I'd go to school. I can memorize. I can do all of that. But in high school, I never read a book. I could, you know, so aptitude, I was there. But we didn't talk about dyslexia then. And so that was my fear of going back. And so when I, when I went in, I needed to have one more elective. Uh, at the end, and I was trying to create a conflict, play some games at school. And so I took theater. Why not? And so all these kids were so upset with me because I was the older woman and I wasn't there for theater. And so you have to try out for a play. And uh, all right, I'll try out for the play. Well, I ended up getting meningitis and I was out for a month and almost died. And um, so when I came back, I found out I'd gotten the lead. Well, they had to give it away. But the, the, my theater instructor said, we liked you so much. I want you to do these other things. And the night before we opened, she said, we need a connector between these little themes. Can you get on stage and make up some stuff, Chris? Okay. So I created all these little vignettes and stuff. Well, then we had the Irene Ryans, our uh, national competition in the collegiate environment. So they go around every school and they choose one person to go to this competition. So uh, you can see where the story's going. You know, I'm just, I have a pharmacy, I have a pharmaceutical rep job lined up in Chicago. I have a couple weeks before I'm ready to go. Life is going to begin, and I won the competition, right? I, I was chosen to go. And so, all right, mine's well, life is short. So I went, 
And I did well. I didn't win it, but um, a whole bunch of casting directors were there. So uh, the one from Titanic was there, and he came up to me and was super impressed. And he's like, I want you to come out to L.A. and audition for a couple of things. Would you be willing? Okay. So a week later, I flew out. And two weeks later, I moved out with baby and hand. So, um, so that became the, the L.A. story of why not? Life is short. And I loved it. I, we, I wrote scripts. We produced a play. I had some great opportunities, a couple of leads in some small films. But what I realized, I was waiting for a phone to ring, and I'm not good at waiting for the phone to ring. And so at the same time, I had a job. Why not? And uh, I ended up taking over a healthcare company out there, a cardiac uh, healthcare company, at the same time I was acting, right? So the gentleman I had been dating was a very successful actor. And he said, you will never be a successful actor. I was kind of hurting that, right? I'd won some awards already. And he goes, because a true actor is willing to give up their entire life and sleep in their car and sleep on their couch. And that's all they can imagine. He had a PhD in Shakespearean art, right? But he's like, you have so many other dreams and aspirations, you know, follow your heart, right? And so um, I still love the industry. I'm still passionate about it. But it gave me so much preparation for being on stage in the next world of my life, you know. So, so I wouldn't yeah. take back a moment of it, but um, it was a great experience. I'm about to say, I mean, it, it, one, the story of like, you know, the like, okay, let's just, let's see where this goes. Let's take this chance. That fits your theme for sure. And then, you know, like you said, when you look back, that gives you so much experience in terms of charisma, storytelling. And, and obviously when we transition and talk about you with the luxury hotel business, being able to stand on stage in front of thousands of people and inspire them. And even what you're doing today, all of that comes back to things that you were able to learn, obviously in Los Angeles. Were there any stories that you're like, no one would believe me. This is only an LA story. Like you had to have been there to understand it. Were there any of those LA moments where, you know, it's, it's a good story oh, for you. You almost can't tell others because they won't believe you. Oh, there's so many of them. Oh my gosh. I was uh, ginger and Marianne. I was definitely Marianne, right? I was a Kansas girl. So I remember the first party I went to and um, you know, there's nothing fake on me. And you know, these women are all in the bathroom and they're kind of experiencing things and they're all handing me cards here, honey. Here's a good doctor for you. He'll take care of you. And I'm thinking, okay, didn't know it's broken, but okay. All right, here we go. Here's Hollywood. Um, my first day out there, I was driving down the freeway and the window was down and a gentleman drove up next to me and threw his card in my car and said, pull over. You want to, you know, we ended up talking that day. It was like my first day there. Okay. This is how people meet. Right. So that was a crazy story. But I think the, the, the acting side of it, you have to fake it till you make it, of course, right? And so I remember my first lead, the only reason they brought me into audition was like, what does a rugby player look like? Because I played rugby in Scotland and I played rugby around the world. And um, so they're intrigued by what that could be. But I remember I got this part and I had the script and I was in my, my trailer and I had to go out and we started the first scene. I didn't, and it was a shooting scene. Like someone's dying. Do I like them? Do I not like them? you know, who is he? Right. So I'm trying to read really fast. And, and then I get out there and my daughter had gone home for the day in the, in the scene. So I had to be screaming at someone that wasn't there. And I was standing around the corner and my knees were shaking. I thought I could just leave right now and no one will know it. Right. I I can't do this. I'm going to faint. So there's those moments. And then when I got a lead in the play, I uh, said, I'd been in all these great plays and, and I've been in one. And so I get on stage and I got the lead and the director took me inside and goes, when you didn't know what stage right was, I kind of figured maybe we had some work to do. I was like, 
yeah, which way is stage right? So, you know, so there's, there's, and then, you know, I, I met Paul Newman and it was just, I was never awed by actors. My, my boyfriend hated that. It's an awed by great people. I'm awed by people that when I meet them, if they're good, I'll be awed. And just his charisma, he, he just took up a room and swallowed it in his kindness, right? And so I just, those were moments of life-changing, you know, getting to the wholesome part of what LA is. I loved it. People were great. Let's go ahead and switch over. So you get into hospitality software, which then leads you to becoming the CEO of a luxury hotel brand. So talk about those transitions. Yeah. So um, when I was out in LA and now I was running this kind of small healthcare, I, I, then you then you feel like they could tell you make it, but someone's going to find out, right? You're always afraid. Like, am I really qualified? So I decided to go back to grad school and I was still really good friends with some of my professors in undergrad. And they said, if you can't get into one of the best, then just do it online. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And because I was in undergrad for the right reasons, I had really good grades, right? Not because I wanted good grades, but because I was passionate about it. And so I applied to a lot of them and I was accepted at um, majority of the big wig schools. So I went and checked out a couple of them and Kellogg was one I checked out and, um, and, and I checked out a couple other ones. But what I loved about Kellogg was it was number one in the world for the executive MBA program, which is helpful, but it was about a team approach. And to me, that's what was missing in corporate was the team approach. And so I was really taken by that. It was very, very hard to get in. But once you're in, it was not about the competition, about being better than somebody. It was about helping each other through it. So I um, was in the executive program and I'm the freak of nature. Uh, I decided to start an entrepreneurial club, which was unheard of because these are all C-suite people and companies. Why would they start a business? I said, well, you never know, right? These are my, these are my people for life. So no one thought it would work. And my first day, 200 people showed up and I made some lifelong friends, but uh, really working with people that were entrepreneurial, we got in some competitions. I brought the um, normal grad program over to the executive program and blended them because you had the youth and excitement and the knowledge of the wisdom. And from there, a couple of us decided to go buy some companies. And so um, a group of us just started vetting all these companies. And it was very hard. Private equity was really coming downstream because they were looking for everything. So we wanted to stay in the Chicago area, but we spread our wings and we just didn't want to do manufacturing. Well, I was still consulting with uh, physician groups and doing some of that. And we found this hotel technology company. And the gentleman was the perfect place of the baby boomer trying to you know, keep it alive but retire. And uh, he had had a whole bunch of hotel chains. So our, one of my partners bought one of the hotel chains and said, Hey, here you guys, here's this technology. You know, it was, it was a break even loss leader for him because it was his technology for his chains. So we had about 700 properties on board, very archaic technology. But at the time I was still doing other things. So I took over the sales and marketing and, you know, as usual, uh, I probably, move forward faster. So I ended up buying up both my partners in the first two years. And so I was running it myself and we grew up from 700 to 7,000 internationally and really became an expert in the industry. So everybody, they didn't know me. And all of a sudden now I was an expert supposedly, because I think being dyslexic, I need to understand how things work together. I visually see things. And so a lot of people in an industry become very vertical. And they only learn what's important to their particular space. I try to understand how all the spaces work together. So that made me kind of an exception. And then we rebuilt the technology, which was unheard of because ignorance is bliss. And so I really moved up in, in the space. And so 
when it was time to sell or consolidate, the movement was happening. I had aligned myself from day one when we bought to say, who should buy me? And then make sure that they're in my, in my global space, right? So I knew the group very well that wanted to acquire, and they had a, more of an international approach. In that process, just being me, I didn't know I was being vetted for another position, you know, and uh, they were so blown away with how I'd grown the organization that the equity company brought me in and said, you know, flew me over to London, took me to a vodka bar. I'm not sure what that meant. And um, sat me down and said, we'd like you to consider the CEO role. Well, they wanted six languages. I barely speak English. I work on my French, right? And, and uh, but more importantly, there'd never been a woman at the top of the organization and there'd never been an American. It was a German company. And so I broke a lot of ceilings in that experience. But yeah, so that's how I got into the international hotel area. So there was 35 offices around the country. We were in 65 countries. So it really made me understand the diversity of the world and accept all the wonderful, flawed opportunities that we have and really trying to get that many cultures to work together. Um, I think we don't realize when you have international if we aren't working as a team, we don't move something forward. So that's why I think I was so successful in that role, because I really come in from make the pie bigger before you try to fight for the pieces of the pie. And I think that's a very female approach as well. I was going to say what's your biggest challenge, but you kind of listed off a lot of those challenges coming in. What was your process for creating your game plan when you step in and you see, okay, I'm now you know in charge of international with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different things that I want to accomplish first woman stepping into this role, breaking these glass ceilings. So now there's a responsibility there for you to, to carry that forward. How, how did you go about creating the process to create the change that you wanted to create? You know, my mom had great terms and I didn't realize what I was, but a servant leader, right? I work for you. You don't work for me. And that's always been the way that I believe a great leader should run its organization, right? I mean, ultimately you have to make the hard decisions and ultimately it all falls on you, but you work for your people. And so I have always traditionally done when I've come in and taken over a company or worked with a company, I've taken leadership offsite and built that relationship as quickly as possible. I mean, you have to decide who should stay and who shouldn't and vet people and make sure that you get the bad apples out because you get a short period of time to do that. Listen to everyone, but don't make decisions based on other people's opinions. So I sat and did a lot of interviewing with people, finding out where they wanted to go. But within a month, I brought all of my VPs um, to America from all over the world. And I took them to my house in Hendersonville. And I had a very large house so I could fit everybody. And so I brought all these men in and I, they were there for a week with me and they were scared crapless. They'd never gone through something like this. And I said, this is our chance to trust each other. So the first exercise I did is I walked out of the room. I said, I want you to put on all of these pieces of paper, the things that you would stop, start and change. All the things, if you were in charge, what would you do? And they thought it was a way that I was going to fire them if they wrote things on the paper they didn't, didn't want to see. So they sat there and talked it over for about a half hour, but should we really put the stuff on the paper? And then they realized that my job was to listen and learn. I didn't know what was going on. And in that moment, I, they're still some of my best friends. They trusted me from that moment forward. And the correlation of bringing all those heads together is the difference of them going back and saying, you can trust this person. And so I did that often twice a year with my senior team. And that's when you make magic happen. And I think a lot of places don't make it personal. I fixed all the meals. I, they slept in my house. I said, this is our journey and this is a safe place. Anything can be said. And I think that's, that's a big lesson. I've done that in multiple companies 
because another great lesson I had is we put our best people on our biggest problems. And that's absolutely wrong. We should put our best people on our biggest opportunities. But we don't make time for opportunities. We're always putting out fires. And so if you don't create a space that people can be free of the fire and think of opportunity, you'll never grow an organization in a way that you're moving towards opportunity. You're putting out the fires. So I think that's a, that makes me a little bit different in the industry. This is Jeremy Park, CEO of City Current, personally inviting you to Growth Current. Growth Current is our e-learning and online personal development platform with City Current. It's an opportunity to attend virtual events with global thought leaders, national guest speakers, and experts who can help you grow personally and professionally. It gives you access to success secrets, lessons learned, learning modules, and so much more. Subscriptions are only $8 a month, and you can do bulk subscriptions for your team. Check out growthcurrent.co to learn more. Yeah, great advice. This is one of those that we could go down that path, I think, for a long, long time, just sharing lessons learned. But let's switch over and talk about what you're doing now and a, a personal storyline with your mother that leads you to this. But talk about on your end what leads you to start and launch Rock Springs Retreat Center. Yeah, so definitely it was never in my mind to do this. You know, it's one of those aha moments. You've heard that I'm very quick to do things but I am very, very thoughtful and strategic. I just know that great opportunities are lost by not taking moves. And so we get paralyzed in paralysis with decision-making. So I'm very thoughtful and I'm very strategic, but I don't hesitate when something is right. And so I think that's important when you see like, she's all over, she's like a squirrel. I'm a pretty thoughtful squirrel, right? I have a collection of my little nuts. And so when I was overseas and I would bring my family periodically because I was only home 15 days uh, a year sometimes in America because I was living in Germany. So I took my mother and my family and we did a one month kind of tour with meetings around Europe. And my mom had never drank. She'd never smoked. She wasn't on any medications, just kind of healthy, right? And 69 years old, pretty young. So we were over there and having a healthcare background, I started recognizing there's something off. And so, and it progressed throughout the month. And um, so I called my brother. And I said, something's wrong with mom. As soon as she gets home, we got to get her in. And I had to confront her with certain things because she didn't want to acknowledge it or see it like most of us don't. So by the time she got home, she uh, didn't even make it to her apartment. She had passed out. She ended up in the emergency room in the ICU and she had stage four cancer, multiple myeloma. And so, you know, huge shock. Nobody knew. And so at that moment, I was trying to buy World Hotels. I, I believed in it so much, I was going to acquire this organization. And so I was in negotiations. I was in that next phase. And um, I had to make a very specific decision in my life. Um, we thought that if she had a transplant, she could live up to five years. But we knew it was finite. She was not going to live very long. So I said, I've got to go do what's right for me and take care of my mom. And um, I can always go back to the business world. And so it's, un, it's hard to unwind as a CEO. It took a couple of months of getting everything aligned and put in place to make that exit, um, to talk to all of our hotels and, and let them know I wasn't abandoning them. So I came back and um, I knew that I had it. My mom was very wise. She said, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. So I made the decision to go off to a fitness retreat to feel better. Did I mention I was in 45 countries in one year and drinking at cocktail parties and eating. And so I hadn't gained weight, but I didn't feel like me. And so I went for a month and I completely got myself back in the process. And so it felt great, came home, ready to take care of mom. And uh, she passed about six weeks later. 
So I wasn't expecting that clearly. And so now I had to regroup and I say, now what am I going to do? Um, and I, I reflected on how life-changing it was. And I knew I could do everything better, but I wasn't looking at it from that perspective. And I thought, you know, that was a pretty interesting concept and a good business idea as well. And so I grabbed my husband and our financial assistant and we drank the Kool-Aid together. And um, I knew that they were scared because when I do things, I do them very quickly. And um, so within two weeks, I came back and I found this property and I purchased it. And within six months, I had it built and ready to be open. And, um, but I came back to the heart of America because this is where my old company had been. And I knew I had amazing employees and I had passionate employees. And I trusted that they would take care of people. So I came back here partially for that reason as well. And I was able to rehire back some of my old employees. And uh, they knew that they were holding on for dear life, but they're still with me. And, um, and I knew that they would want to change people's lives too, which is super critical. I don't think people hire people. They don't hire the person. They hire the credentials. And you, I can teach anybody anything. We all can. And, but it, you got to find the right people. And if you find the right people, the rest will fall in line if you do the right thing. And so, um, so yeah, so I came back and there we are five years later. But I think it's also too good perspective when you look at, like you're saying, in terms of the trust that also goes to you when you say, yes, I move quickly, but you also go all in over hundred percent effort and you know how to make it a success. And so I think when you look at your track record, then when you start going pretty fast, it's like, okay, this thing, she's going to make it work and she's going to make it a success because she knows what she's doing. She's built up that trust and that integrity all throughout this process of everything you've done in your career. So describe Rock Springs Retreat Center. So it's a beautiful facility. We'll talk about Fit Farm. Go ahead and describe where it is and a lot of the uh, beautiful amenities. Yeah, it's, you know, you would, you would think that you could be anywhere in the world. It's magical. It really is. And I know that sounds cliche and so forth, but it's 200 acres of rolling hills in Tennessee. And you don't know 40 miles outside of Nashville that this kind of place exists. You know, I use the phrase dirty dancing because when we watch that movie, we, we see the wonder and the beauty and the awe, but we also see a place where people laugh and have fun and dance and enjoy themselves. So we wanted to create a facility like that. So our amenities are super broad because everybody enjoys playing in different ways. That could be a spa, right? Laying on a massage table. That could be playing Frisbee golf. That could be playing basketball or swimming or volleyball or an obstacle course that you thought, oh my God, I never thought I could do an obstacle course. You know, we even put up the bull riding once in a while. So it, and we have a massive pond that you feel like you can boat on it. You can fish on it. We have it so stocked. I don't care who you are. You will learn how to catch a fish. Right. I mean, and so just those opportunities that people have never done. And we have a massive garden and we'll get people from around the country or the world and go, I've never seen how green pepper grows. Wow, that's cool. You know, we have chickens. Right. We so we really try to bring back the as a kid. How do we open you up and create new memories? So a lot of great amenities. We have 80,000 square feet of uh, fitness facilities. So lots of indoor gyms that are climatized. So it's not too hot or too cold. Um, we have pickleball. Um, so we really try to say, this is your playground and we'll meet you where you're at in your journey. And then playing off of all of your experiences, everything from fitness, nutrition, as I mentioned, the psychology of this too, personal training, all of that comes to bear on this farm environment. So you've got fitness and farming. And so Fit Farm is a piece of this. 
Talk about that specific focus of the health, well-being, getting in shape, exercise, fitness, all of that coming through. Yeah, great question, Jeremy. Um, uh, so ultimately, we call it an active retreat, right? There's a lot of places you can go and get awe-inspired by sitting around a pool and drinking a mimosa and recharging yourself, but we want to recharge through movement, right? And so, you know, we say it's seven hours of activity, but that's walking, that's hiking, that's swimming, but we stay active through the day and we wake people back up, get their metabolism going. But we do a lot of, um, I, I believe in know the score so you know where you're going. So we do a lot of testing. We do what's called the Staiku, which is a 600 data point. Uh, we create an avatar of you. And so we say the scale is not your friend because every day you can get on it and now I'm going to have a good day or I'm going to have a bad day. We let it rule our lives and your weight is irrelevant, right? Because you know if your clothes fit or not, you know where the inches are. And so trying to explain to people in a very visceral way of what a pound of fat looks like compared to a pound of muscle and how important muscle is for bone density and for osteoporosis and for aging, but we've gotten fixated as a society on a scale. And so we really do a lot of testing. We test your resting metabolic rate. So we know exactly how many calories you need to consume to stay healthy. And we base your nutritional plan off of that. And we teach people how to have real eating behaviors again. Every time we diet, we freak our body out, right? If we're not eating, our body is the smartest thing we have. Wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to get potatoes again. So I'm holding on to everything I eat when I eat again. So its job is to survive. And we've cheated our bodies of understanding that purity. So by just going back to the basics of eating real food, eating right, eating balance, understanding proportions, right? You know, Americans eat twice as much as we should. We don't understand proportions. Go to Europe and it looks like we're having a top up for dinner, you know? And so, so really recalibrating our brain. But to your point, this is not about your body. We just think it is. It is so much about your brain. It's so much about your psyche. It's so much about enjoying um, camaraderie. So you, we can't sell that because you don't Google that. How do I find myself again? I didn't know I was lost, right? So we are a soft approach to life coaching of support. We have life coaching. We do those basic kind of like, who am I again? And I've changed through time. What does that mean? We teach crucial conversations, which is super powerful. You know, 98% of relationships fall apart because you don't know how to communicate. Well, no one teaches us how to communicate. Our parents told us if we had nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Well, that's the reason why a lot of companies blow up, right? That's why a lot of legs got cut off on the wrong side because we didn't want to tell the surgeon, hey, you're cutting off the wrong leg, right? So teaching people how to have if those engagements makes their life healthier when they go home because often that stress and that cortisol came from those bad behaviors that we didn't even know. When you look at what, you know, you've kind of brought into this and already the transformations and the feedback that you're getting, how has this changed your outlook for you personally on fitness, health, mental health, especially how, how has it changed your focus on taking care of yourself? You know, I think, you can't outrun the fact that we have classes all day. I, I teach still. I teach classes because I was a personal, I'm a personal trainer. But then you want to engage with the people. So we, as a, as a company, I believe very strongly that don't talk it, show it, move it. So all of our employees are paid an hour a day to jump into a class. So that creates a different bond with all of our guests as well because all the employees are jumping in and taking care of themselves. So it's hard to not to be a hypocrite and say, do this, but don't do it. So by nature of creating this, I've created my own extension of healthiness in my life. I teach a lot of the cooking classes. I do a lot of the nutrition. So, you know, 
it's very easy to take that home. And, and, and I think that we, we always want it, but when we don't put it into our life, we don't live it. So I think that's also brought a big change in our life. I think, you know, going back to bringing the men together and kind of leaving the room and saying, what would you change? What do you like? What do you not like? And then to your point, paying them to go through other classes so that they're learning from each other, but they're also, you know, visually there and meeting guests. Like that's a, that's a really cool angle. What's one more thing that you think just from a leadership lesson that you think that you're doing now, that's pretty neat, or maybe you didn't even intend it necessarily, but it's like, wow, that that's actually really cool. That's something that has worked out really well. What, what's a leadership lesson in general that you've been able to apply. That's been a success. Um, you know, I've had every employee at every company go through crucial conversations. And to me, I love it when the employees engage each other and they'll say, okay, we need a crucial conversation. That just melts my heart, right? Doesn't mean there's not conflict. Doesn't mean there's not problems. I mean, we should have a reality TV show, right? Because we see so much transformation. We see so many things happening that watching the employees help each other and pick each other up from a leadership standpoint, you know, they know I jump in and wash the dishes and clean the toilets with them, right? But I think last week we had our first ever alumni advisory group. And I think it's stopping and knowing, it's not about hearing people, it's about listening. So it was an amazing week, but bringing in some of your key clients and guests that come back over and over and listening to them, I think they were shocked and awed that for a whole week, I asked them to tell me all the things they would change. For a whole week, I had them challenge the program. They went to all the classes, they heard it differently. And I think when people see that you really are willing to always listen and empty your glass enough that you can put more water in it, it helps other people realize that that ability to do that as well. So um, I think from leadership, it's continuing to push myself to not go, I've learned enough. And I think as we get older, it's harder to do that, you know, because yeah. people trust you and they say, I'll do whatever you tell me. No, it's not about me. It's got to be about this place runs without me. Because I think the worst leaders in the world think that, that the organization is dependent on them. And stepping away and literally letting people fall and get back up again and realize they're okay is um, a big lesson. I like that constant curiosity on your end. I think that's an important element. So we'll switch over in just a second and do a lightning round where it's just short questions, short answers, little, you know, fun chance to, to kind of wrap up getting to know you even better. But talk about how groups, families, organizations, wedding parties, corporate retreats, talk about how we can kind of tap in and use everything we're talking about. So how, how can we engage on that side? Absolutely. So you know, as I kind of mentioned, I came from the corporate world. We stink in the corporate world taking care of each other, right? I mean, we talk about it all day long. We want to put it on our SOPs. We want to say it's inclusive of that. But often until a leader experiences uh, a drastic thing, they don't always live it in their organization. And so one of my big passions was trying to get organizations and companies and corporate events to realize, engage each other at that level, play together inspire each other, do a leadership tower together. Well, you know, unless you're in the military, you've never really done that. So, so often the meetings are very, let's be healthy and sit in a boardroom with no windows, right? And talk about being healthy. And so we really try to bring them out here and engage them on how do you do an active meeting? Sit around a fire pit and have your meeting. Sit down by the, by the pond. We have internet everywhere, right? So I think that's a big shift in the mindset of really how do I live it versus how do I talk about it? You know, so big corporate events, you know, if you have 2000 people, we have these amazing things, but often it's circled around food and alcohol. And so we're like, come out here and break up your group and go on the obstacle course and go on the leadership and have a putting green competition and, 
do painting and sipping by the pond. And there's something for everyone if you're in your heels or in your tennis shoes, but be outside. Bring your organization to a place where they can play and they can celebrate together versus sitting there and drinking and eating. And then weddings, it's the same thing, especially after COVID, right? It's supposed to be the best day of your life. You want to have fun, you know? And so often we, we create this very perfect day, but then we realize, did we have fun? Did we laugh? Did we play? And so, you know, bring out your group and play bocce ball and basketball and axe throwing. And maybe you use the, um, the bull riding machine or get on the pond. So our, our wedding is just awe-inspired by people just realizing it can be fun. And I think that that's the shift that we're having is we're no longer looking for the perfect hotel room. We're looking for the experience. And the experience has to be authentic and it has to be memorable. And so that's kind of everything that we try to do here is experiential. I love it. Let's switch over and do a lightning round. So it's short questions, short answers, fun way to wrap up. What do you like to do to relax? Ooh, I like to cook. I like to go out and help my husband on the farm when he's building something. We love to do artwork together. I was an artist by trade. So we'll go in the shop and we'll just build something super creative and we might stay up for 40 hours straight doing it. So if you're cooking, what's your go-to? What, what's a favorite meal you like to cook? Oh, well, I teach sushi making up at the property. I love making sushi. Um, uh, and so that's probably my favorite because I like to eat it, right? So um, the only thing I don't like are pastas in Italian. Not that I don't like the taste, it's just heavy. So I like taking a lot of fresh food and I'll never make anything twice the same way. So nice. getting creative. What's a favorite vacation spot? Oh, 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 oh. I'm pretty lame here. Like I've traveled the world. Uh, there's only a couple places I go back to. Safari blew me away. I mean, I, I, I've never been in such awe in my life. I would definitely do that again. Um, surprised I didn't do that as a job. New Zealand, uh, the South Island was brilliant. But my go-to is a cruise. I make so many decisions every day. I, I used to cruise by myself before I got married all the time. I'd get on the boat by myself. I'd be there for three days. I'd read a book. I didn't have to talk to anybody if I didn't want to. And everything was there. So I'm kind of a cruise freak, right? What's a recent movie, TV show? What do you like to watch? All right. Well, my favorite one, because I don't sleep well at night, was, is West Wing. I still think I've watched it about 87, every episode, 87 times. Kind of hooked on Amazing Race lately. Never watched it. So I'm kind of like, you know, binge watching it. So I'm very intrigued by it. But I, I typically like a, a drama. You know, my favorite movie was Shawshank Redemption because I think it just proved you make choices in your life. Aside from taking them, obviously, to the retreat center, where in Nashville, if you have guests coming in, where do you like to take them? What are some of your favorite spots to go? We uh, have some amazing hiking around here and people fall in love with it. So we do a lot, a lot of hiking excursions. But Nashville in general... I think it's growing so fast. It's, there's so much energy. Why I love Nashville is it's like LA. People are chasing dreams. And you can't help but feel it when you go there. So we do take people to Nashville. Um, but a lot of the, the things that they want to do, we, do uh, we take them out to a restaurant um, to teach them how to eat healthy and everything else. And, you know, and so there's just a lot of fun little activities that we do that are like that. Is there a favorite quote or saying that inspires you? And obviously you don't have to like get it exactly right. But is there a quote or saying that inspires you? You know, get busy living or get busy dying, uh, I think has been the quote of my life. Um, you know, 
there was a dark spot when my mom was at the Gulf War and I was living in Minneapolis where um, I forget even what band it is, but, you know, hold on for one more day, the song, I'll go back to that. And then, you know, Nelson Mandela with rugby in Africa, my son has all these things memorized, so it'll always take me to my knees. Um, so I definitely can't memorize that one for you because it's pretty long. But um, so those are some of them. You obviously um, are living your legacy every single day with what you've done and what you're continuing to do. But many, many, many years from now, what do you hope that people say about you and your impact on other lives? I hope they say what I learned, I took and, and it had this domino effect, this butterfly effect. So like when I teach crucial conversations, a lot of people will become very teary and I will get people writing me and saying, I brought it home and we brought it to work. And you've changed my marriage. You saved my relationship with my kids. I get a lot of uh, emails from significant others of you gave my spouse back to me. So I think things like teaching is probably my passion. At some point, I'd like to go back to Kellogg and teach. Because I think when you teach, it's like teaching people how to fish, you know, not just handing them a fish. We'll wrap up with website, social media, contact information. Where can we follow your efforts? Where can we go, obviously, to learn more about Rock Springs Retreat Center? Where can we go online? All right, so it's www.rockspringsrc.com. We have a chat button there. We have a book now button or we call us. You communicate the way you want to. We have a great following on Facebook and Instagram and some of your traditional. We have quite a few good YouTube educational things that you can learn a little bit more. Um, We believe in free knowledge is the most powerful thing we have. So, um, yeah, so www.rockspringsrc.com. Com. And all the phone numbers are on there and just reach out and we'll pick up. Well, Chris, you are a change maker indeed. Thank you for all you're doing to make a difference, to power the good. Thank you to you and your team for all you do as well. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers podcast produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com or follow us on social media using at City Current. Please make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast wherever you listen. Now, think big, start small and act now. Be a change maker.